0: What's that up ahead, cutting through the fog? It's a beacon of common sense. We must be getting close to the Liberty Lighthouse.
1: Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse. Welcome, fellow patriots and freedom fighters. I, uh, I planned on talking about the U.S. Constitution this week. It was going to be the first in a series where we read and explain the Constitution in layman's terms bit by bit, but first, I, I've got to gotta do some ranting and some complaining and some why are we the people allowing this nonsense to go on the way that it's going on? We're allowing our country to turn communist right before our very eyes And we're not doing anything about it. And, uh, well, I've got a problem with that. So I'm going to talk about some of those examples before we get going into the Constitution. But why don't we just uh, jump in?
0: You have just entered the Liberty Lighthouse, your beacon of common sense. Join the conversation in the chat room at miwi.com. Call or text 64 my rights. That's 646-974-4487. Or tweet the hashtag #libertlighthouse.
1: That's right. Call or text 64 My Rights. Love to hear your questions, comments, and concerns in the Liberty Lighthouse. Also, don't forget our chat room during the show at mewee.com to search for the Liberty Lighthouse group uh, or go to liberty-lighthouse.com, click the MeWe chat room button there. The newest edition. you know, you can tweet hashtag Liberty Lighthouse, uh, but the newest one is Locals.com. The Liberty Lighthouse is now on Locals.com. That's LibertyLighthouse.Locals.com. No spaces or dashes or anything like that. And from there, if you become a supporter of the Liberty Lighthouse for $2 a month, you will get these Liberty Lighthouse episodes before they air on Saturday. And you'll get them without commercials but wait, there's more. You also get a discount on items from the Liberty Lighthouse store. You get bonus materials. You get everything and everything, anything you could possibly want from the Liberty Lighthouse at libertylighthouse.locals.com for $2 a month. It's, it's the best deal on the internet. Trust me. Okay. So to the show, we're turning communist. We've got Governors telling us that we can or cannot go out, telling us whether or not we can travel for our holidays, then ignoring the orders and doing as they please without us. Do it, you know, do as I say, not as I do kind of garbageness, And that is communist. It, it, it just is. It happens all the time in the communist countries. There's two classes of people. There's the rulers and then there's the people. And we're allowing our government to do that. I don't know why these dictatorial idiots that we have elected as governors are being allowed to keep their jobs. Why are they not being impeached? I don't understand that question. ah, Frustrated already. We're like three minutes into the show and I'm getting frustrated just by talking about this already. So I hope you ignored the governor's orders and you had your thanksgiving, however it is that you felt you wanted to have your thanksgiving, because it's not the government's job. As we're going to learn in the the course of the next week or two or eight, I don't know how long this is going to take, but as we're going to learn, there is no pandemic exception. There is no greater good exception to your God-given right to assemble. And we're allowing our government to make exceptions for these rights, we have to stop that i, I I'm so frustrated I can't even think I, I just i don't know where to go. I really don't It, it brings me to well to, to our declaration of independence It's one of the the three documents hanging on the wall right behind me. you all. If you've ever seen any of my videos, I've got the, uh, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, just huge framed versions right behind me in my studio. The Declaration of Independence is, it, it clearly states that it's up to the people to overthrow a government when the people you know, don't think the government's working anymore. And the more we go on this Wuhan flu tirade crap, the more I'm thinking, yeah, it might be time to do that again. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal stations to which the law of nature and nature's God entitles them. That's a calling to destroy to abolish a government once it has become tyrannical. And ours has overstepped so far and gets more tyrannical the longer we allow this Wuhan flu nonsense to go on. I, I don't know where to go. I really don't. So let's go on from the Declaration. Let's go into the Constitution. The U.S. Constitution, think back to your, Grammar school and high school, what you learned about the Constitution, you learned about some of the compromises. One, the, the so-called Great Compromise, which is how we ended up with a a two-chambered legislature, a bicameral legislature, as it's called. Or you may have heard of the the Three-Fifths Compromise about how to count slaves in the census. But the U.S. Constitution was much, much more compromised than those two things that you learned about as kids. Actually, the, the entire document was one gigantic compromise. Almost everything about it was debated. Fifty-five people went to sign this thing. Fifty-five people got together to fix the federal government at the time. The Articles of Confederation were, well, they had proved to be insufficient. Our nation was in turmoil. There were rebellions beginning amongst the people. People were starting to feel like they had thrown off the, the uh, tyrant 3,000 miles away and then elected a couple of hundred tyrants here in the United States and that nothing had changed. So they were rebelling. And the, the greatest minds at the time got together to try to fix our government the one thing that really wasn't a compromise the one thing that these 55 brilliant men got together and sat down they pretty quickly realized that there really was no fixing the articles of confederation that they had to start over that the articles of confederation were so loose so insufficient that they just couldn't be fixed now there's no no question as to why the Articles of Confederation were written the way they were, it's because we had just gotten rid of a, a tyrant and we wanted a very loose affiliation between our states. We wanted a very weak federal government. We, we went to the opposite. It's just, like, it's just like so many other things in life. When, when you have too much of one thing, you go completely to the opposite extreme. And that's what our, our founding fathers did with the Articles of the Confederation. They went to the other extreme. And that didn't work, as extremes usually don't. So when they got together, they pretty quickly realized that the Articles couldn't be fixed and they would have to do something else. Well, Let's start with who some of these people were that were there. Well, you had two of the most famous people on the planet, George Washington and Ben Franklin. Now, by this time, Ben Franklin was old, and he was there much like a figurehead. He he wasn't expected to contribute much because, like I said, he was old. But George Washington, George Washington was world-famous at this point. He was the general from this ragtag little nation that defeated the all-powerful British Empire. And that world, word had gotten all the way around the world, so these two people are together. <coughs> pardon. and they get together, along with several others. One, uh, James Madison. Madison was, uh, was only 37 years old at the time, and Madison was largely attributed with writing most of the, the Constitution. And he was probably the most intellectual of the people at this, this constitutional convention. He had studied, many of the founding fathers had studied forms of government. When they decided to have this convention, a lot of them had put out, uh, had, uh, had opened books and started reading to figure out, you know, Hey, if we're going to make a new government, what's it going to be? So they looked at a lot of the ancient forms of government. They looked at the Greeks, they looked at the Romans. They even looked at the, the feudal systems of China and and the way China tried to be a a republic at one point, I'm sorry, tried to be a democracy at one point, they studied and studied and studied and, uh, well, let's see, who else? James Wilson, I'm sorry. So James Wilson was there. James Wilson was probably the most philosophical of the founding fathers at the Constitutional Convention. So you've got George Washington and Ben Franklin, two of the most famous people on the planet, Madison, who was probably the smartest guy in the room, and and Wilson, who was the most philosophical. Now, a lot of the people that were there to to uh, craft the Constitution had also been there to craft the Declaration. But it's very different challenges between the Declaration of Independence and And the Constitution. The Declaration is, well, it's kind of simple by comparison. The Declaration was basically just a letter to King George saying, You're a tyrant, and we're not going to be a part of your tyrannical government anymore. We are now independent. Go away. Oh, and here's the list of reasons that we think you're a tyrant. The Constitution, however, had tremendous things to consider. Like, you're creating. A government, and there's a, all the possible idiosyncrasies and the debates you've got the arguments between little states and big states and slave states and not slave states and you know more progressive areas and more conservative areas and it it was a it was a lot, a lot of compromising and in the end, in that crazy, hot August in Philadelphia, when it was all said and done, 39 of the 55 men signed the U.S. Constitution. So there were a lot that wouldn't sign. But uh, why don't we just hear what the Constitution has to say? Maybe. If technology will work for me. THE CONSTITUTION OF THE UNITED STATES OF AMERICA SEPTEMBER 17, 1787
2: PREAMBLE We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution
1: for the United States of America. So that is, of course, the preamble. Fifty-four words, I believe. Uh, Probably the most famous words in the English language. Well, no. I'd say, like, the Lord's Prayer is probably more famous, but... We, the people of the United States. Okay, let's start with the just the idea of a preamble itself. Um, there was significant debate amongst our founding fathers of whether or not the Constitution even needed a preamble. And then once it was decided that, yeah, we'll, we'll write a preamble, then there was debate as to whether it should be we, the people of the United States, Or whether it should be we, the people of Georgia, Virginia, Carolina, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. Like, there was a serious debate as to whether or not to list out the states individually. I'm glad they didn't. I think we, the people of the United States, is about perfect. And I want to point out something else. The the way it's worded, in order to form a more perfect union. So they they already, right there in that little sentence, they're acknowledging that there already is a union amongst the states. It's the Articles of Confederation, but it's imperfect and they want to create something more perfect. Now it says more perfect, not perfect. So, you know, they're being honest that they, they know, they've studied enough government that they know that there is no such thing as a perfect government. But they're going to work on it, and they're going to make this one, and this one's going to be more perfect than it was. So, uh, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish uh, common defense, promote the general welfare. Those four words, promote the general welfare. Those four words have been used as what they call the General Welfare Clause. They have been used many, many times for so much government overreach. The Affordable Care Act was based off of the Promote the General Welfare. The, the entire you know, uh, entitlement program of the United States of America falls into the Promote General Welfare anything that our government wants to do and they think it's for the quote-unquote greater good falls into what they call the general welfare clause. Now, I, I am not a constitutional scholar. I didn't go to college for any of this. I am an average guy who loves his country and I happen to think that the U.S. Constitution is one of the most perfect documents ever penned by human hands. However, the preamble really isn't part of the document just just the way it's even worded it's saying hey we're doing this for these reasons here's the document it's it's a it's an introduction i don't understand how it can be used for an argument say in a courtroom if you're a lawyer trying to argue that uh you know medicare for all is a good thing and and we should have free health care for everybody and that would be for you know to promote the general welfare i don't understand how that works as an argument because it's the preamble it's kind of like if you read the introduction to a book and the introduction says that this is the best most thrilling detective novel ever well is it really you don't know until you read it and you could easily read it and think, no, it's not thrilling, and it's not even a detective novel for that matter. So using the preamble as, as an argument, I, I just I don't understand that at all. Again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm, I'm not a constitutional expert or anything like that. But the preamble just says, we're making a new government, and here are the reasons why, and then here's the government. Article
2: 1 Section 1 All legislative powers, herein granted, shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and House of Representatives.
1: So right there, we've got the bicameral House, the Great Compromise. Section 2 The House of Representatives
2: shall be composed of members chosen every second year by the people of the several states, and the electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of the state legislature.
1: Okay, so the people of the House of Representatives are chosen by the people in the states every two years. So that's us. So this is our house. It's even called the people's house. So the people's house is for us, and uh, it's every two years. So we can vote those people out every two years if we so choose, but for some reason we rarely do.
2: No person shall be a representative who shall not have attained to the age of 25 years and been seven years a citizen of the United States, and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of the state
1: in which he shall be chosen. Well, that's caused some problems already. Okay, so you've got to be 25 years old and you have to be a citizen for seven years before you can be a, a U.S. House of Representatives representative. But, to be you have to be when elected, be an inhabitant of the state in which you're chosen, so you don't have to be a resident of a state when you run for office, only when you win the election, so we've got people, these you know rich politicians who are you know far on one side of the aisle or the other, will run for office in a state that has a political ideology that, you know, goes along with them just so that they can get elected before they even move there. Eh, that's the way it's written. That's, it's legal. It's shady. People in a state probably shouldn't let people do that. I want my representative to actually have lived in my representative district for a decent amount of time.
2: Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states, which may be included within this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years, and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. THE ACTUAL ENUMERATION SHALL BE MADE WITHIN THREE YEARS AFTER THE FIRST MEETING OF THE CONGRESS OF THE UNITED STATES, AND WITHIN EVERY SUBSEQUENT TERM OF TEN YEARS, IN SUCH MANNER AS THEY SHALL BY LAW DIRECT. THE NUMBER OF REPRESENTATIVES SHALL NOT EXCEED ONE FOR EVERY THIRTY THOUSAND, BUT EACH STATE SHALL HAVE AT LEAST ONE REPRESENTATIVE.
1: That, of course, was changed. And
2: until such enumeration shall be made, the State of New Hampshire shall be entitled to choose three, Massachusetts, eight, Rhode Island and Providence plantations, one, Connecticut, five, New York, six, New Jersey, four, Pennsylvania, eight, Delaware, one, Maryland, six, Virginia, ten. North Carolina, 5. South Carolina, 5. And Georgia,
1: 3. Now, of course, our representatives now represent a population closer to six or 700,000. Eventually, with the population growth over the centuries, um, we fixed the number of representatives in the House of Representatives, and we divide them up by the population, by the census every 10 years the census which is constitutional it just said there that we have to do a census every 10 years interesting to know i hear music already it's almost time to go um okay so we had the three fifths compromise for slaves indians weren't counted at all they were considered their own separate nation within our nation so i don't know about
0: you But my brain can only take so much logic at once.
1: Luckily, it's time for a break. Be back in two minutes, my friends.
0: the founders
1: intended mojo 50 this second amendment moment is brought to you by hunter's warehouse at 130 west high street in downtown belfont pennsylvania when the government was closing businesses hunter's warehouse was open when ammunition was out of stock everywhere including online hunter's warehouse had it with thousands of firearms and truckloads of ammunition in stock no wonder people drive for hours to visit Hunter's Warehouse. Go to hunterswarehouse.net for all of your Second Amendment needs. Hi, I'm Peter Seraphine, host of the Liberty Lighthouse. I first got involved with politics when I wrote a short book, Progress, really? Progress, really is a quick read about the past, current and future state of our progressive society. I was so frustrated with progressive society and progressive government I had to do something. I didn't write the book for fame or fortune, so I priced it as low as possible and pledged all of my profit to the Convention of States project. So whether the 99-cent ebook or the $5 paperback, your purchase supports the COS project. Go to liberty-lighthouse.com and click on the books link. Read my short warning about when progress just stops being progress and support the COS project. I urge every liberty-loving American to go to liberty-lighthouse.com, click the books link, and buy a copy of Progress. Really? The most powerful gathering of freedom fundamentalists since Philadelphia in 1776. Mojo Five O.
0: Welcome back to the Liberty Lighthouse, the beacon of common sense and logic.
1: Welcome back indeed. We are talking about the U.S. Constitution. We're going through it line by line and so far we've gotten uh, Article 1, Section 2 and that's where we are. So uh, the second paragraph in Section 2 says, uh, I'm sorry, the third paragraph goes into, uh, you know, what states are going to have what representation until the first census to be held within three years. And then... Uh, we uh, we get into what happens when there are vacancies.
2: When vacancies happen in the representation from any state, the executive authority thereof shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies.
1: Pretty simple, speaker The House
2: of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and shall have the sole power of impeachment.
1: Well, we certainly heard all about impeachment over the, the last four years. The House of Representatives has the power of impeachment, the sole power of impeachment. They are the only ones who can call for an impeachment. Uh, that's pretty clear. I mean, it's the House of Representatives, shall choose their speaker and their officers and it shall have the sole power of impeachment. Nothing could be more clear.
2: Section 3. The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, chosen by the legislature thereof, for six years, and each senator shall have one vote.
1: Now that was changed by the 17th Amendment. Each state has two senators, but they're no longer chosen by the legislature thereof. They're now Elected by the people of the state. The 17th Amendment was hailed as more direct democracy for our republic. It was never supposed to be. The states appointing the senators was part of the balance of power, part of the key design to the U.S. Constitution there was not only the balance between the three branches of government, the legislative, the executive, and the judicial. There was also the balance that we, in our own representative districts, represented people to represent us, and then the state legislatures represented, uh, elected or appointed people to represent the state, and then the United States elected the president. The, the, way, the reason that they were all elected differently was all part of the balance of power, just like the three branches of government. And the 17th Amendment destroyed that in 1913. 1913 was a horrible, horrible year for the United States of America, the republic, for the Constitution And the 17th Amendment was just one of the three significant reasons why, but I'm sure we'll get to some other ones later. Immediately
2: after they shall be assembled in consequence of the first election, they shall be divided, as equally as may be, into three classes. The seats of the senators of the first class shall be vacated at the expiration of the second year. "...of the second class at the expiration of the fourth year, and of the third class at the expiration of the sixth year, so that one-third may be chosen every second year." And that
1: still holds "...and if today.
2: vacancies happen by resignation or otherwise, during the recess of the legislature of any state, the executive thereof may make temporary appointments." until the next meeting of the legislature, which shall then fill such vacancies.
1: So the they went through, the founding fathers in the document, they went through and said, hey, look, we want senators to be elected every six years, but we need uh, we need all the senators right now, so let's divide them into three groups. And that way we get uh, a third gets elected, reelected, or goes up for re-election in two years, and another third in four years, and then uh, the the last third in six years, and then everybody gets reelected every six years. Um, so every three or every two years, a third of the Senate and all of the House of Representatives is up for reelection. So, again, why do we keep rep- electing people that are obviously not doing what they want, what we want them to do? We keep putting people in Congress, both the House and the Senate, for decades upon decades
2: No person shall be a senator who shall not have attained to the age of thirty years, and been nine years a citizen of the United States, and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of
1: that state for which he shall be chosen. So much like the House of Representatives, except for now they have to be thirty years old, and they have to be a citizen for at least nine years instead of seven in the House. And they have to be an inhabitant of the state in which they're elected when they're elected, Hillary Clinton. If you remember, when Hillary ran for senator in New York, she didn't live in New York and then had to move to New York when she won the election, which, again, that's shady stuff. Technically legal, but shady the Vice President of the
2: United States shall be President of the Senate, but shall have no vote unless they be equally divided.
1: This, of course, is a huge issue right now. Whoever wins those two Senate seats in Georgia will have the vice presidency, or you know, determines the uh, the the which way the Senate is going to lean. My God, with Kamala Harris as The the tiebreaker, the Democrats would have to win um, just one of those two seats in Georgia, if I remember correctly, in order to have a majority in the Senate. Also a president pro tempore
2: in the absence of the vice president or when he shall exercise the office of president of the United States. THE SENATE SHALL HAVE THE sole POWER TO TRY ALL IMPEACHMENTS. WHEN SITTING FOR THAT PURPOSE, THEY SHALL BE ON OATH OR AFFIRMATION. WHEN THE PRESIDENT OF THE UNITED STATES IS TRIED, THE CHIEF JUSTICE SHALL PRESIDE, AND NO PERSON SHALL BE CONVICTED WITHOUT THE CONCURRENCE OF TWO-THIRDS OF THE MEMBERS PRESENT. JUDGMENT IN CASES OF IMPEACHMENT shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. But the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to
1: law. Okay, so the... Senate president pro tem is in charge when the, the vice president isn't there or when the vice president is acting as the president and then the Senate tries impeachment. So the house can g- file charges basically for an impeachment and the Senate has to confirm or try the impeachment it has to be a two thirds majority and that it is nothing more than removal from office and disqualifying for other offices the senate cannot the house cannot file criminal charges or liable char- or, you know civil charges against a a person in an office those charges can be filed just not by this group and notice that they the senate has to uh, swear an oath while in the uh, acting as judges in the trial they swear an oath when they took their jobs So the fact that they're swearing another oath shows the importance of this job.
2: Section 4 The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But the Congress may at any time, by law, make or alter such regulations, except as to the places of choosing Senators. The Congress shall assemble at least once in every year, and such meeting shall be on the first Monday in December, unless they shall by law appoint a different day. That was changed by the 20th Amendment. Section five: Each House shall be the judge of the elections, returns, and qualifications of its own members, and a majority of each shall constitute a quorum to do business; but a smaller number may adjourn from day to day, and may be authorized to compel the attendance of absent members, in such manner and under such penalties as each house may provide. Each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and with the concurrence of two thirds, expel a member.
1: Let's stop right there for a second. So each house makes its own rules, we know that. That's why that's why all the talk about the filibuster rules and the sixty the, the sixty Vote majority in the Senate. These are rules set by the Senate, but each house may determine the the rules and and can, can eject somebody. They can, the Senate can kick somebody out of the Senate. The house can kick somebody out of the house, but it takes a two thirds vote of that house, that Senate. Um, Interesting. I don't know how many times that's been done, but I think it should be done a lot more often. AND WE SHALL GO ON.
2: EACH HOUSE SHALL KEEP A JOURNAL OF ITS PROCEEDINGS, AND FROM TIME TO TIME PUBLISH THE SAME, excepting SUCH PARTS AS MAY IN THEIR JUDGEMENT REQUIRE SECRECY. AND THE yeas AND NAYS OF THE MEMBERS OF EITHER HOUSE, ON ANY QUESTION, SHALL, AT THE DESIRE OF ONE-FIFTH OF THOSE PRESENT, BE ENTERED ON THE JOURNAL.
1: So that's done pretty regularly just to get something on record. Uh, you'll see that if you ever watch the proceedings in the House or the Senate, when a voice vote is done, oftentimes you'll have somebody say they want, uh, a, they want a, a formal vote, and then they all have to go and go vote in their little voting machines. And that takes, what's it say, one-fifth of the people present uh, to force that. that's usually done just as a political move to get who voted which way on record uh, so that you can expose the bad guy for voting the wrong way. Neither house, during
2: the session of Congress, shall, without the consent of the other, adjourn for more than three days, nor to any other place than that in which the two houses shall be sitting so the house needs the senate's permission to adjourn and vice versa section six the senators and representatives shall receive a compensation for their services to be ascertained by law and paid out of the treasury of the united states they shall in all cases except treason felony and breach of the peace be privileged from arrest during their attendance at the session of their respective houses and in going to and returning from the same and for any speech or debate in either house they shall not be questioned in any other place that is
1: important because it that is how they get away with lying to us these elected officials, these career politicians who stand up in front of the House and just spill lies that you know are lies, you can prove are lies, and you can't sue them. You can't sue them for libel. You can't sue them for slander. You can't do anything because they're in the House. No
2: senator or representative shall during the time for which he was elected, be appointed to any civil office under the authority of the United States, which shall have been created, or the emoluments whereof shall have been increased during such time. And no person holding any office under the United States shall be a member of either house during his continuance in office."
1: Okay, so you can't have an office and be a politician, and you can't be a politician and have an office. That's all that was. But let's go back to the paying part. It's that these members of the House and the Senate are to be paid according to law. The senators and representatives shall receive compensation for their services to be ascertained by law. Who writes laws? Congress writes laws. So Congress gets to decide how much they're going to be paid. Now, there's been a lot of memes and crap out there that say, well, you know, in the beginning they were paid per diem. Yeah, they were. They were paid per diem, that would, meaning, you know, by, by the day. They were paid for the days that they were in Congress. They were not paid when they went home because it was a part-time job. Nobody in our founding fathers, the 55 people that signed the Constitution, I'm sorry, the 39 people that signed the Constitution, the 55 people that gathered to write the Constitution, I, I doubt any of them could have foreseen people spending 30, 40, 50 years in politics. Teddy Roosevelt, I believe it was, said that the, you, uh, the only way to get rich in politics is if you're a crook. And look how many of our politicians have gotten rich as politicians. We fortunately were wise enough to make it so that they can't vote themselves a pay raise while they're in office. What I mean is it, any pay raise that they vote for themselves gets postponed until after the next election. But because we rarely, if ever, vote people out of office, it... They're they're still voting themselves pay raises. It's it's a sad, sad world that we live in right now.
2: Section 7. All bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives, but the Senate may propose or concur with amendments as on other bills.
1: The power of the purse resides in the House. Remember that. The House of Representatives decides what gets spent, how much gets spent. And right now, they just want to spend. They don't care where the money comes from. That's why we're $27 trillion in debt, because the people that we keep putting there for decades at a time just keep spending.
2: Every bill which shall have passed the House of Representatives and the Senate, shall, before it become a law, be presented to the President of the United States. If he approve, he shall sign it, but if not, he shall return it, with his objections to that house in which it shall have originated, who shall enter the objections at large on their journal, and proceed to reconsider it. If, after such reconsideration, two-thirds of that house shall agree to pass the bill, it shall be sent, together with the objections, to the other house, by which it shall likewise be reconsidered, and, if approved by two-thirds of that house, it shall become a law. But in all such cases, the votes of both houses shall be determined by yeas and nays, AND THE NAMES OF THE PERSONS VOTING FOR AND AGAINST THE BILL SHALL BE ENTERED ON THE JOURNAL OF EACH HOUSE, RESPECTIVELY. IF ANY BILL SHALL NOT BE RETURNED BY THE PRESIDENT WITHIN TEN DAYS, SUNDAYS excepted, AFTER IT SHALL HAVE BEEN PRESENTED TO HIM, THE SAME SHALL BE A LAW, IN LIKE MANNER AS IF HE HAD SIGNED IT, UNLESS THE CONGRESS BY THEIR ADJOURNMENT PREVENT ITS RETURN, in which case it shall not be a
1: law. So we're describing the veto process here. Of uh, a, a bill gets passed through the House and the Senate with whatever majority it has, it goes to the president. The president says yes or no. He has 10 days to make up his mind. If he does not sign the bill or reject the bill, either way, if he doesn't act upon the bill within 10 days, it becomes law just as if he had signed it. If he objects to something, he sends it back to Congress with the objections, and if they can raise a two-thirds majority in both Houses of Congress, both the House and the Senate, then they get to override the presidential veto, and the thing becomes law anyway. Every order, resolution,
2: or vote to which the concurrence of the Senate and House of Representatives may be necessary, except on a question of adjournment, shall be presented to the President of the United States, and before the same shall take effect, shall be approved by him, or, being disapproved by him, shall be repassed by two-thirds of the Senate and House of Representatives, according to the rules and limitations prescribed in the case of a bill. That's pretty much just a rehash, if you ask me. Sounds like the thing that was eight. just described. The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States.
1: So there's that general welfare thing again. It's a it's a terrible argument because general welfare is is hard to prove. What's good for you isn't necessarily good for me, and what's good for somebody, you know, like even the the case of free medical, you can argue it's not good for everybody. I've got great health insurance. I don't mind paying for my great health insurance. The idea of having free health insurance from the government that's probably going to suck, well, I wouldn't call that general welfare.
2: To borrow money on the credit of the United States. To regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. To establish an uniform rule of naturalization and uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States. To coin money, regulate the value thereof, and of foreign coin, and fix the standard of weights and measures. To provide for the punishment of counterfeiting the securities and current coin of the United States. To establish post offices and post roads. To promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries.
1: Copyrights and
2: trademarks. To constitute tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court. To define and punish piracies and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against the law of nations. To declare war... Grant letters of mark and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water.
1: Let's pause there for a second. To declare war, we're listing out the powers of Congress, and one of which is to declare war. So this brings up the question of what about when the president does something that's warlike, And whether or not you know Vietnam was a war, because Congress, I don't know if it ever did, but it certainly didn't start by declaring war. It was a presidential action for quite a while. So it seems to me most of the things in our uh, history, most of the things, the bad things of America, is because we ignored our own Constitution. More stuff. To raise and support armies. But no
2: appropriation of money to that use shall be for a longer term than two years. To provide and maintain a navy, to make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces. To provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. To provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states, respectively, the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. To exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district, not exceeding 10 miles square, as may, by secession of particular states, and the acceptance of Congress, become the seat of the government of the United States, and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state in which the same shall be, for the election of forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful
1: buildings. Let's pause there again. The uh, the seat of government, Washington, D.C., the district no more than 10 miles square, our progressive friends want to make that a state. Well, it seems to me that it, it can't, according to the Constitution. You know, s- these states gave up this land to create this independent district. They should not be ever allowed to be a state. And
2: to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof.
1: Okay, so that is Article 1 up through Section 8. So we still got a long way to go. And I really need your feedback because this seems to me like it's going to be really boring for you to listen to. If you want me to continue, I'm happy to do it. But if you think it's just a little too boring, I completely understand. So leave me some feedback, tweet at me, hashtag Liberty Lighthouse, Uh, put the feedback in the chat room until next week, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America.
0: Thanks for listening to the Liberty Lighthouse. Be sure to tune in next Saturday for your weekly dose of common sense and catch up on past episodes wherever you get your podcasts.